But in this series, we're talking about, uh, this is a, a biblical phrase, life that's truly life. This is a phrase the Apostle Paul used, take hold of the life that's truly life, the life that Jesus offers us. Jesus said, I came to give you life to the full. And um, so that's what we're exploring in this series. And we've talked about it in a variety of ways. We've talked about our past and what it looks like to leave shame behind because Jesus liberates us from our shame and and how uh, we want Jesus to be the center of our life. And so we've begun to unfold what this means to live this life that's truly life. Uh, And today we're going to talk about what this looks like in the context of relationships. Um, And I want to focus today on just kind of one key concept about relationships from a biblical standpoint that I believe if we if we grasp and we embrace uh, it will lead to experiencing this full life uh, in our relationships with each other. Um, now, we all have a variety of relationships in our life. We have family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors, acquaintances, you know, online adversaries. I don't know. We have a lot of people, a lot of relationships in our lives. Uh, and I think we want them to be healthy. We want them to grow. We even want them to be sort of God-honoring. Um, but if you're a human being and you have breath in your lungs, you know that with relationships comes conflict and friction and struggle. And, you know, we misunderstand each other and we frustrate one another and we're not always on the same page about things. And uh, we want different things. We don't respond well to criticism or constructive feedback. We wish people behave differently. Am I the only one that wishes people behave differently sometimes? Yeah, I think we all feel that way. We all know how that feels, to, to struggle in relationships. Um, and it's exhausting to deal with that relational friction, especially with everything else going on in our lives. And when we're especially experiencing something painful, a painful division in a relationship, that certainly does not feel like the full life that Jesus offers us. It just feels so not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and we don't get a lot of help from our culture on this point. Uh, we, we have these mixed messages coming at us. I think there's two kind of basic messages that come at us. Um, neither of them are true. I think they're bo- both born out of our pride. Um, I think one of the messages that comes at us is that we, we basically have no control over relationship problems in our life. Um, uh, so there's not really anything we can do to fix it. On the other hand, a message that comes is we kind of have total control. If we just figure everything out and modify our behavior, we can really work our way to having healthy relationships. Um, So one message is like conflict is inevitable. You can't really reduce its likelihood. You're not really part of the problem. This is just life. You just sort of muddle through. The other message is you're in total control. You know, fix everything. Listen to all the relationship gurus and apply their advice and their tips and tricks and embrace the positive mindsets. And if you do all of that, you can just sort of get rid of relationship troubles in your life. And so we just put that burden on ourselves to just fix everything. So one message is just resign yourselves to always having sort of bent and broken relationships. The other message is just strive hard and modify your behavior, and life will eventually become a a harmony of relational bliss. The problem is, with both of those messages, is that they're really only concerned with kind of surface-level symptoms and behavior management, they don't really speak to our hearts. And the deeper spiritual sickness, that leads to the symptom of unhealthy relationships. One of my favorite moments in the history of the church uh, happened in the first century. It was when the gospel, the message of Jesus, first arrived in the city of Athens. 
Um, so here's an artist's rendering of uh, what ancient Athens looked like. Uh, this was the intellectual capital of the Roman world, the New Testament world. And the Apostle Paul shows up in Athens, and he's the first person to ever tell any of them about Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus. And Paul shows up, and he notices all these temples and statues in the city uh, dedicated to various pagan deities, and he's very distressed over the fact that people are giving their hearts to these things carved out of stone and acting as if they're living gods. And his heart is just breaking for the city, so he begins sharing Jesus, much like Joseph was just saying, just with whoever he could find on the streets in the marketplace. And Paul begins to share Christ. And eventually, enough people hear his message that Paul is given this invitation to address um, uh, a very well-known historical entity, uh, which was called the Areopagus in Athens. It was basically a body of people that were leaders in the city. They were thinkers. They were civic leaders. And they had heard of this guy, Paul, and they're like, hey, tell us more about this message you bring. This is all brand new. Um, You can read about this in Acts 17. So Paul is invited to address these people. And, and, and I want to read just a few verses of how he starts his speech. He says this, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. You see, Paul was walking around the city and he's seeing, you know, an altar with a statue on it. That's one for Zeus. And here's one for Poseidon. And here's one for Athena. And here's one for Apollo. And he's seeing all these altars, all these statues. And then he finds this really interesting one. By the way, that's actually one that archaeologists have found that says to an unknown God. There's no statue on top of the altar. There's no name of a God. It's just to an unknown God. And this is essentially an ancient Greek religious insurance policy. Okay, okay, in case we're not, in case there's some God or goddess out there we don't know about, you know, heaven forbid we offend this person, so we're just going to worship this, I don't know, empty pedestal. That's basically what it was, and that was the pagan mindset, right, is just keep the gods happy. There's no unconditional love from the gods. It was, I just don't want to be on their bad side. That was the entire religious viewpoint of the first century uh, pagan world, and so Paul sees this statue and brilliantly uses this as his jumping off point to talk about Jesus. He says, you know that unknown God you keep praying to and worshiping? I'm going to tell you who that is. And his name is Jesus. Now, in the Western modern world, we don't, you know, worship idols and statues and things like that. Um, uh, We do have our idols, but they are camouflaged like chameleons against the backdrop of our culture. Uh, but we do have our, our idols. Uh, and I think, in a way, we have our own altar to an unknown God. Um, something that we effortlessly put on a pedestal, that we honor, we give our devotion to. And the worship of this unknown God, I believe, is the root cause of many of our relationship conflict. Because the unknown God we worship is ourselves. It's ourselves. You know, when we survey the landscape of our lives, how we spend our time, how we go about our lives, what we prioritize, what we think about ourselves, what we think about other people, if we're honest, and I'm including myself in this, if we are honest, we will admit that often we give ourselves the highest seat of honor in our own minds. We are often found at the center of our own universe. We have enthroned ourselves. And the culture 
not only accepts this, it applauds it. Um, But the problem is this. It is profoundly exhausting and discouraging to be on the throne of our own lives because we were not created to be. The crown is too heavy for our heads. Jesus is the only one with the rightful claim to the throne of our lives. And so if we want to experience this life that's truly life, this full life Jesus talked about, especially in the area of relationships, we must relinquish the crown, abdicate the throne of our lives, and discover an awareness of the ways that we elevate ourselves. Because I think in a lot of ways we do it without even realizing it. So turn with me to Philippians 2. Uh, Philippians, if you're, if you're not familiar with the layout of Scripture, is kind of in the middle of the New Testament there. Um, Philippians 2. What's really amazing about the passage we're going to look at today, and this is the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Philippians. So the same guy who went to Athens and, you know, uh, made this observation about the, the various... Uh, altars to gods and things. He's writing this letter. And this is the amazing thing about the passage is in this passage, he shows us that the issue of relationship conflict is woven together with the question of who is on the throne of your life, that those two things go together. Um, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in prison in Rome and he's writing to encourage the Philippian Christians. And uh, he's praying for their growth. And he, he says this key statement in 127. And I want to just read this one verse as a, sort of a prelude to what we see in Philippians 2. Paul, he's talking about all kinds of things. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he's going to go on to talk about lots of different ways that plays out. Um, so that's what chapter 2 is, is him his ex- explaining how it looks in re- our relationships to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, to be Christ-like. So let's jump into it. Philippians 2, verse 1. Paul says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather... In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Here's what Paul's saying. If Christ is in your life and you're seeking to honor him with your life, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Highlight those two words if you're taking notes. Those are in verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Um, Paul was originally writing in Greek. And the words he used that we translate as selfish ambition had the uh, sense of jealousy and rivalry. So he's saying, don't do anything out of a sense of kind of envy or rivalry or jealousy of somebody else. And he says also, do nothing out of vain conceit. Highlight that. Vain conceit. Literally, the words Paul used say empty glory. Uh, It's... Uh, you know, do nothing out of a, a pride that has no justification uh, or thinking highly of yourself when you have no basis to do so. It's empty. It's this empty, hollow glory. Um, now, notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, don't feel those things. Don't, don't have moments of feeling envious or, you know, or having a sense of jealousy or 
or puffing yourself up with a sense of empty glory. He doesn't say don't feel those things because we all do feel those things at times. He says do nothing out of those feelings. Do nothing out of those feelings. So when you feel envy, when you feel desire, when you feel competition with someone, a sense of rivalry, um, when you feel the desire to sort of enthrone yourself as the most important thing in your life, don't act on those feelings. That's what Paul is saying. Do nothing out of those feelings. Instead, he says, in humility, this phrase, highlight this, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. And now the, the interesting word there, value, um, that's the command, the verb there, value. Um, it's a word that had to do, the word Paul used had to do with rank and authority. It's actually the word that in English we get the word hegemony, which has to do with dominance and, and, and being over someone in authority. He's essentially saying rank others above yourself. Voluntarily subordinate yourself to other people. That's what Paul is saying. Care more about their interests. Advocate for their interests. I mean, that is like beyond countercultural. I mean, that kind of thinking is so foreign to us, it might as well be an ideology from another planet. I mean, it's like, what? Rank people above us? Advocate for their interests instead of ours? I mean, that is so against our nature and against our culture. I mean, how is it even possible to do this? Paul's about to tell us. The answer of how to do this is not found in applying good advice in our life. It is found in a deep heart-level understanding of the good news. It's about the good news, not just good advice. So Paul just gave these commands, and now he's going to tell us how this looks. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, he continues. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Highlight that whole verse, all of verse 5, if you're taking notes. This is kind of, um, you know, if there's any doubt he's talking about relationships, he just says it right there. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is the foundational idea, Paul says. So what is the mindset of Christ Jesus? He's about to tell us. And actually what follows, starting in verse 6, many scholars believe is an early Christian hymn. Because in the Greek, there's a a meter to it and a rhythm. And so it may be an early Christian song that Paul is sort of quoting here. Um, So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is that mindset? Verse 6. Who, that's Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's an incredibly rich passage. I want to go back to 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7, kind of the beginning of what I just read. There's some uh, things I want to pull out of that. Um, He says, Jesus was by nature God. Highlight those two words, nature God. And then it says a couple lines down, he took on the nature of a servant. So highlight those. 
So these two ideas are in contrast. I would actually, just as a tip when you're taking notes, studying the Bible, if you see two ideas that kind of connect, I'd actually just draw a line and connect them. Because these are two ideas that are linked together. The nature, he was by nature God, and he took on the nature of a servant. And so what Paul is saying here is, Jesus was actually God, and he actually deserved his glory. So Paul had just said, don't have an empty glory. We, we, you know, we have an undeserved glory. He's saying he was actually God, and he actually deserved his glory. His glory was not undeserved. It was deserved, and he traded that willingly for the nature of a servant. He became human who served. He exchanged and, and humbled himself. In fact, it says, verse 7, he uh, made himself nothing. I would highlight that. Literally, in the Greek, it says he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Because, why did he empty himself? Verse 6, he did not consider, I would highlight that word, he didn't consider equality with God as something to grasp onto. That word consider is the same exact word a moment ago Paul used when he said value others highly than yourself. This is saying, uh, it was a word that has to do with rank. This is literally saying, Jesus did not consider his rightful rank and the maintenance of that rightful rank to be more important than his rescue mission. And so he humbled himself and he set that aside to serve us, to show us how loved we are. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Now, I don't know where all of you are when you come in here today. Maybe uh, you wouldn't say that you know God, or maybe you feel like you kind of do, or you're not sure if you do. Or maybe you feel a little bit, you know, that altar to the unknown God. Maybe you feel like, well, there is a God, but he seems kind of unknown to me sometimes. There's a little bit of a mystery to me. Here in these verses, you get a glimpse of who God is and his character and his love. He gave up everything that he actually deserved to come after each and every one of you and me. And so regardless of how you think he feels about you, you are not unknown to him. And you are worth coming for. And you are worth everything which he freely gave for you. This is the gospel. Jesus emptying himself, becoming one of us to rescue us. And Paul said, remember, the heading of this whole discussion is relationships. So he's not giving a list of you know, top 10 things you can do to improve your relationships. He says, I want to talk about relationships. Let me tell you the gospel. <laughs> In your relationships, he says, have the mindset of Christ. And we just read about it. Of sacrifice and humbling yourself and ranking people above you, as Jesus did for us. But how can we follow this unimaginably lofty example, right? Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ. And you read about Jesus and you're like, how on earth could I ever do that? You know, I can't live up to that. Well, Paul's going to tell us in the last two verses we're going to look at. This is how we do this. Verse 12. Therefore, he says, therefore, meaning in light of everything I just told you about Jesus, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So Paul says, work out your salvation. That means essentially grow in Christ-likeness, grow in your faith. 
with fear and trembling. Now, when we hear fear, we think like, what, we're supposed to be afraid of God? That doesn't mean be afraid of God. It, ha- it means have a sense of reverence for who Jesus is and what he did, the magnitude of what he did. Um, and then he tells us the key point of all of this, and I would highlight this if you're taking notes. It is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. This is how we do this. It is God who works in you. And I want you to circle the word you at the end of that. Now, in Greek, uh, well, in English, we, we can say you for one person, talking about one person, or we can say you for a group of people. Um, but in ancient Greece, as in Texas, we have a, another word for a you that's a group of people. And this is the word, yeah, y'all. This is the word in Greek that was the ancient Greek, y'all. So Paul was a little Texan. He, uh, he says, uh, it is God who works among y'all as you seek to honor him in your relationships. And the point is this, is that as we seek to, uh, to uh, honor the Lord in our relationships and embrace this mindset of Jesus, we have to remember in, that it is Jesus who does the transforming. It is God who's working in us. It's, it's his business to transform hearts and lives. And it, it, it is him who enables us to empty ourselves and treat others the way Jesus treated us. We can't do this in our own strength. So Paul calls us to live a certain way. Don't do anything out of jealousy or rivalry. Value others more than yourself. And you're like, wow, that's a big deal. And he says, have the same mindset as Jesus. And then he tells the whole gospel. It's like, wow, how do I have that mindset? How can I do this? And he follows it right up by saying, by the way, it's God who's going to work in you to do this. You cannot achieve this in your own strength. You cannot just try to be a nice person. I'm just going to sort of buckle down and just sort of, I don't know, be a charitable person. That'll last a couple of days. You'll get to Wednesday, and you'll just be thinking the way you used to. And I know that's true because that's happened to me so many times when I've really tried to do this in my own strength. It's about relying on the Lord and saying, would you work in me as I seek to do this, to live as you've called me to live? So just to kind of wrap up, uh, I would encourage you to, to pray this week and think about maybe some relationships in your life that are a little strained or maybe they're not what you hoped they would be. And, or or maybe, maybe a good relationship, but you want to maintain that and promote that in the long run. Um, and just think along these lines and remember that the, the, the greatest tool that you have as you seek to grow in relationships and honor the Lord, the greatest tool you have is remembering who Jesus is and what he did for you. That's what Paul did. He said, you want to talk about relationships? Great, let's talk about Jesus and what he did. That's the starting place. That is the foundation. And so there's one kind of key idea I want us to take away that I think Paul very clearly laid out here, and this is throughout the New Testament too, something that we should all remember as we think about relationships in our life, the life that's truly life, And here it is. Jesus gives us two things. Jesus gives us his example and the strength to follow his example. Those are both so important. He gives us his example and the strength to follow his example. Praise God, because it isn't like Jesus gives us his example and is like, good luck living up to this impossible standard. I'll be watching you. That's not what he says. He says, I've I've set an example for you and I'm calling you to follow me. And to grow and to, for your life and your outlook to grow and shape and look more and more like me as you draw nearer to me 
And I'm going to do the heavy lifting of that, and I'm going to be enabling you to grow in this way, of thinking about relationships in this way. Uh, it takes the burden off of us of fixing everything in our lives, in our own strength and wisdom. Uh, we can't do it. Jesus is the example of dethroning ourselves, of valuing others more than us. As he emptied himself, we are called to do the same. I mean, if God didn't fight for his own glory, which he actually deserved, how much less should we fight for our own undeserved glory? This is what Paul was talking about. We have to knock ourselves off the pedestal of our lives. We have to dethrone ourselves. Because here's the thing. You can apply all the great relationship advice in the world. You can read all the books, go to all the conferences, hear all the lists of do these eight things and you have a healthy relationship, and they may be wise things. You can do all those things. Um, but if you're not unseating yourself from the throne of your life, you're just going to constantly be putting Band-Aids on things. You're not ever going to be addressing the foundational issue of relationships, which is who's on the throne of your life. We have to seek to have the same mindset as Jesus and deal with the roots of these relationship problems. And here's the thing. If you do, if you realize that the relationship troubles are an issue, a spiritual issue, of embracing the call of Christ and, and, and enthroning him in our lives, if you realize that and you start there, then you can hear all this great advice and wisdom about relationships, and you can apply that, and you can actually see some growth and improve because you're treating the symptoms after you've started to treat the foundational issue, which is your relationship with Christ and whether or not he's on the throne of your life. It is God who works in us. Jesus gives us his example, and then he gives us his strength. And he says, I'm calling you to this, and I'm going to lead you there. And so we have to go to him and say, Lord, I want to live this way. I want my relationships to look this way. I want my life to look this way, a reflection of you. I cannot do it in my own strength. Would you transform me from the inside out? And we just pray and we ask and we watch as the Spirit transforms us. That is the picture that's painted by Paul here and throughout the New Testament. Jesus gives us his example and the strength to follow it.